Welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could be here. You're listening to a brand new message from our guest speaker, Pastor Abraham Samudi. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax, here it is. But no, Harrison is, is yeah, he's one of my best friends. I, I had the distinct privilege of, of having him be my best man for our wedding. And so um, I, I love this man so much and, and his family, his wonderful children. Uh, Abby and, and, and Kensley, and, and we had the chance to hang out with them this, uh, this week, and, and man, they're, they're adorable. They are cute. Harrison, if you're watching this later, you have the cutest babies I have ever seen. They're smart. They were scared at me at first, but you know, <laughs> they warmed up. My charm got to them. Um, but, but yeah, let's have a word of prayer before we begin and, and just ask God to come be with us as we encounter his word today. God, we're incredibly thankful for this opportunity to gather together to worship, to just be in your presence, to sit here and know that we are sitting at the feet of Jesus because he is here, because your spirit is here. And so God, in this moment, as as we hear a word today, God, I just pray that these words not be my words, but be your words, that you would bring a word of encouragement, a word of strength, a word of faith, to anyone who needs to hear it this morning, God, that they may be blessed, not because I have spoken well, but because you have spoken to them, to us. So God, we thank you for this time together. Amen. Amen. Today, I just want to jump in straight off the bat. We're going to be jumping into Psalms chapter 137. All right, so we're going to be jumping into Psalms chapter 137. If you have your Bibles with you, you guys are welcome to join us. It should be available on the screen for you as well if you guys want to follow us along there. Psalms chapter 137. I'm reading from the New International Version. The screen will also be the New International Version. And so Psalm 137, uh, if you guys are familiar with the Psalms, you'll know that quite a few of the Psalms are written by, by David, this famous Israelite king. He was a musician. He was a psalmist. He used to love putting pen to paper and, and writing these songs for God, adapting different songs and all these other things. But not all the Psalms were written by David. Quite a few of the Psalms were written uh, by Levites, by this order of priests in Israel. Quite a few of the songs were written by lay people, just regular people out uh, in the community. And so this Psalm is actually one of the Psalms that we don't know who it comes from. It's an unknown author. We don't know who wrote this psalm, but there are some clues as to maybe what categories they might belong to. And so we presumably take place, assume that it takes place at some point in the Babylonian captivity based on the context of the psalm. And so if you're unfamiliar, basically Babylon was this superpower. It rose up, it conquered the, the land of Judah, and it took many of their people as slaves and as exiles into its own land. And so we're assuming then, based on the text here, that this takes place in Babylonian captivity sometime either before the story of Daniel that you might find, definitely before the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah deal with the rebuilding of Jerusalem, the rebuilding of the temple, but that hasn't yet occurred. And so Psalms 137 verses 1 through 6 says this, by the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept. We sat and wept when we remembered Zion, when we remembered Jerusalem, God's holy place, God's holy city. There on the poplars, the trees, we hung our harps. From there, our captors asked for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while we're in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. 
May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Now, this is a psalm of lament. So in the psalms, there are multiple different types of of psalms and poetries, and psalms of lament are one of the common ones. If you don't know what the word lament means, basically it means a, a, a exuberant expression of grief or sorrow. This is a psalm of lament. And so it appears that this this musician here is writing about hanging up their harps. They are likely a temple musician. They likely serve in the temple of Jerusalem, playing for for the Levites, playing for the people as they came to offer sacrifices. And so here he is in Babylon now, far away from the place, from his own church, from his temple, far away from everything that he knows. And so he's writing about being asked to sing. And he says, I can't sing. How can I sing when I know that my hometown's in ruins? How can I sing when I'm in captivity? How can I sing? And, he said, and, and they categorize the people who are asking them to sing as captors, tormentors. So you can imagine the state that they're feeling in or the state that they're feeling at the moment. And so they're asking for songs of joy, they're tormentors, and they say, we can't sing songs of joy. Not now. Not yet. Not based on what we're going through. How can we sing songs of joy when we're captives? And now what's interesting, we're not going to read the rest of the psalm. But if you do read the rest of the psalm, you're going to notice that there actually is no relief. There is no response of hope. Because a lot of the times in psalms of lament, you'll have David, especially David pens a lot of songs of lament. And he writes these psalms. And he talks about how he's going through some very difficult times. Lord, I need your help. My my enemies are surrounding me. But usually at the end of a psalm of lament, especially the ones by David, he'll write like, the Lord is my strength. The Lord is my stronghold. The Lord is my fortress. He talks a lot about the hope that he finds in Jesus. Beautiful psalms. But Psalm 137 doesn't have that. It doesn't end with a note of hope. It doesn't end with relief. See, one thing to keep in mind, though, as we read the psalms, is that the the Psalms, the whole as a book, is actually divided, if you don't know this, is divided into five different books. Psalms itself is divided into five different books. And so the books themselves are not meant to be just read individually, they're meant to be read collectively. So the 150 different Psalms or songs or poems are meant to be read, yes, individually. You can take them piecemeal and, and love the Psalms individually. You can even take the verses that you love. You know, Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. We love those Psalms. But the Psalms are also meant to be read collectively. They're meant to be read together. And so we're going to apply this principle here and read Psalm 138. So Psalm 138, the very next Psalm, verses 1 through 5, says this. Remember the question that Psalm 137 asks. How can I sing while I'm in captivity? Psalm 138, verse 1 to 5. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple. I will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. For you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. When I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. You see, Psalm 137 actually is a psalm of David. We know that. And psalm, this psalm David writes, With all my heart before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. So we find David's reason for singing is God's unfailing love and his faithfulness. 
God responds to his cries for help. David's reason for singing is because God loves him and continues to have great love towards him. So here's our first lesson for today. Our first lesson is we sing because of his love. We sing because of his love. You see, what's interesting here is that Psalms 138 was written by David. So it actually would have been written centuries before Psalm 137. And yet they are paired together to seem as if Psalm 138 is a response to the question that Psalm 137 asks. Psalm 137 says, how can we sing while we're in a foreign land? How can we sing for joy while we're captives? How can we sing while things aren't going our way? Let's change, let's change sing to praise. How can we praise while things aren't going our way? You guys feel that way? How can we praise when we're feeling oppressed? How can we praise when we're feeling defeated and downcast and desperate for salvation? But you see, the compiler of the Psalms, the one who put all of the Psalms together, he pairs 138 after 137 because it is an answer to those questions. And David responds to that question, how can you sing? He says, well, we sing because God is faithful. We sing because God has this unfailing love towards us. We sing because God looks on us with care. We sing because Jesus is our hope. That's reason to sing. So how can we sing? This is the question. How can we sing? Well, we sing because of God's love. And you see, we see the world around us, it's falling apart, right? I mean, things aren't necessarily going well. If you're following the news, you know things aren't going well. We've got so many things going on just in our own backyard, right? And it can feel difficult to really lift up praise. It can feel difficult to sing when the world seems to be getting darker and darker and worse and worse. And in the last few weeks, I don't know if you guys have been following. I'm sure you guys have seen it. You guys have been following all the, the, the bodies that have been discovered out in residential schools. I know in Alberta there's some, in BC it's been quite a, quite a bit of conversation because we've had just in Kamloops, I don't know if you guys know where that is, but that's about an hour and a half from where, where my wife and I live. There's a residential school, that, it's the big one that kind of broke the news there. 215 young bodies found on the grounds of that residential school. And they keep finding more. The tally isn't going down, the tally isn't stopping, it keeps increasing. And it's, and it's infuriating, I know you guys feel this way too, it's infuriating when we're seeing not just the hate crimes in the past, but hate crimes continue today, right? It's infuriating when we're seeing that our government, that our systems that are supposed to protect people and supposed to promote equality aren't doing that yet. That they haven't yet taken the proper steps towards fixing some, some of the inequalities that we find in, in First Nation, Inuit, and Métis communities, I was learning this just this just last couple of weeks, that Canada is like top three in the world of best livable places. But if you actually go to any native reserve, they're below 74. They rank below third world countries. Can you imagine that? People in our own backyard don't have clean supply of water, don't have ready access to food. And it's frustrating. And when we see, when we see this, we can begin to understand why there's lots of people who have difficulty praising, right? It's easy to see the news and just get down and depressed and really like, what's the point? But here, here, Psalm 137 encounters this same problem. They're surrounded by oppressors. They're surrounded by their captives. And, and, and it's not just enough that they're exiled. They're captives. And we don't know if this is the case, but you can almost read this as if it's a mocking voice. Sing for us songs of joy, captives. Dance for us. Play for us. Do something. 
And you can imagine the frustration that they're feeling. And Psalm 137 asks that question, how can we sing when all this is going on around us? How can we sing when we're enslaved? How can we lift up a praise when a city of God lays in ruins? You see, the Psalms are beautiful because they don't actually ignore human suffering. The Psalms don't ignore. The Psalms are full of these songs that acknowledge the injustice, the brokenness of the world around us. And what the Psalms encourage us to do is not to ignore what we see, not to live with our heads in the clouds and say, oh, Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our hope. Believe me, he is. But not to just stay there and ignore everything else that comes after. The Psalms invite us to see the unfailing love of God despite the injustice and the oppression and the chaos and the darkness that we see around us. And you see, what I love most is that God's unfailing love includes the promise that he's not abandoning us to this world of sin, right? God's unfailing love is the promise that he is coming back, that he's gonna set things right in this world. God's unfailing love is the promise that his kingdom, his kingdom, will topple the systems of sin that the world establishes. That his kingdom will bring an eternal peace and love and happiness. That God's unfailing love is that even though the night comes, the sun still rises in the morning. See, God's unfailing love is that even through the hardships, even through the anguish, even through the lament that we experience, that we have this hope that one day God will put an end to all of the suffering that we experience in this life. And so the Psalms, the Psalms invite us to praise, to celebrate God's love, even while we're in captivity, even while we're in slavery, even while we're oppressed, even despite our circumstances. And here's why David says that, Psalms 138, because God has never once broken his promises. That's what it means to be faithful. Did you know that? Because we throw around that word sometimes and we're not really aware. Faithfulness is consistency. It is never breaking a promise and that is who God is. God is faithful. He has never broken a promise and if he's never broken a promise, what makes you think he'll start now? He won't. And so here's the thing. Even when the world tries to steal our joy, tries to steal our song, when the world, when all that the world has for us is suffering, longing for something better, we can choose to praise because we know that God always keeps his promises. And so why can we sing? That's the question that is asked. Why do we sing? Can we sing? How can we sing? The response is we sing because Jesus is coming back. We sing because hope is coming. We sing because God is always faithful. We sing because of God's unfailing love. So we read the rest of Psalm 138, verses 4 to 8. It says, may all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is exalted, though he's high up, he looks kind on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Then he says, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands, David says. 
So David acknowledges how, how wonderful and great God is. Even though God is highly exalted, even though he lives in the heavens above, God sees everything. He sees creation and he takes notice of the lowly. That's comforting. Have you ever felt down? Have you ever felt ignored? Have you ever felt abandoned? Have you ever felt like no one understands what you're going through? David says God takes notice of you. He sees you. He vindicates you. And then he says, Psalm, uh, the psalm ends with this request, David says, do not abandon the work of your hands. It's interesting that the psalm ends on this note. because so we're going to take that practice again, Psalms 139, the next chapter, verses 13, 14. David says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Verse 14, he says, I praise you because I am what? Yeah. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He says, your works are wonderful. I know that full well. See, the wording that David uses here implies that God created not just him individually, but God created all of humanity with intention and purpose. And this is what the Psalms teach us, that God has carefully crafted humanity, that he cares for his creation. God is not one to abandon the work of his hands. David asks that, please don't abandon the work of your hands. In the next chapter, he says, I know that I'm the work of your hands, and I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And so this is our second lesson for today. It's God won't abandon you. You see, we have reason to praise in our darkest times because we know that God has plans for us. His promise is that he won't abandon the work of his hands. His promise is that he didn't create you just to leave you alone. God didn't create you just to abandon you. God has plans for you. God has plans to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. Plans to bring you into his kingdom of peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding. And so whatever you're going through, Whatever you're struggling through, whatever seems to be closing in around you, know that God is still there. God is still with you. You see, your present difficulties aren't a sign that God has abandoned you. God hasn't caused your troubles. God hasn't caused your storms. God is not behind the oppression that you experience at the hands of evil and sin around you. But rather, God is your way through the troubles. God is the one who calms the storms. God is the one working through good people to bring an end to the oppressive systems of the world around us. You see, God looks kind on the lowly, looks kindly on the lowly. Even if you're far off, he sees your suffering. He sees you in the midst of your trouble and he stretches out his hand, David says, to cover you. And then in, in Psalm 16, David praises God for the confidence that even if he should die, even if he loses his life through the struggles, through the difficulties, he knows that still God hasn't abandoned him. That's faith. To know that even if your trouble overcomes you, even if your difficulty overtakes you, it still doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. Because the fact is that death still is not the end. What's the worst that can happen here in this life? Death, the loss of life. But that's still not the end. Jesus promises there's something more. There is life in him. So even the worst that can happen in this life isn't really that bad. <laughs> and I don't mean to make light of suffering. I don't mean to say that. But what I mean to say is that we can have confidence that even if we do die, like David says in Psalm 16, 
God still doesn't abandon us. Even if we lose our lives on this earth, there is still something better to come. God doesn't abandon us to the grave. Jesus has conquered the grave. Did you know that? Jesus has conquered the grave, so even if we pass away, our hope remains firmly in the one who promises the hope of a resurrection. Paul says that. He says we're already dead because of sin, but our spirits are alive in Christ. This is Romans chapter 8. And then he says, and if Jesus rose from the dead, and if you're in Jesus, put two and two together, Paul says, you're also rising from the dead. You don't got to worry about that stuff because you're in Jesus. See, deliverance comes. Deliverance comes in people refusing to silently watch. Deliverance comes through miraculous intervention. I believe that. Deliverance comes through the gospel, the promise of resurrection. I believe that. But it also comes through us. It comes through us refusing to silently watch, to be frozen by fear. It comes through us choosing to, to step up to actively create positive change, to create a world that is free of the systematic oppression of the marginalized people of the world around us. You see, deliverance comes in God's people standing up for the rights of people of lies all over the world. Deliverance comes in people standing up against racial and gender inequalities. Deliverance comes in God's people actively bringing God's kingdom here on earth. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what that means. See, the kingdom of God is the kingdom of mercy and peace and justice. And so by bringing the kingdom of God here, the work that we do in the world is meant to bring peace and justice and mercy and forgiveness, all rooted in Jesus. And so part of the way that God shows us he hasn't abandoned us is by people like us living, breathing the love of Jesus. God's kingdom isn't something far off, you guys. It's not something that we patiently and passively sit and wait for. God's kingdom is here. God's kingdom is now. God's kingdom is wherever people are fighting for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you see, the people of Israel, they know suffering. If there's anyone who knows suffering, it's them. Israel knows what it's like to be marginalized, what it's like to be enslaved, what it's like to be oppressed, what it's like to be defeated. They know what it's like to have generation after generation after generation die in captivity and never see deliverance. They know. But still the Psalms inspire us to praise, to cling to hope. The Psalms continue to call all people to praise God for never abandoning us because the writers of the Bible, they know and they believe this one thing. They know and believe that God never breaks a promise. And if God has promised to set things right, he'll do it. If God has promised to return, he's coming back. If God has promised to put a, put a final end to sin in this world and create an eternal kingdom of heaven on earth, he's going to do it. Do you believe that? If he has promised, he will do it. And so here's the thing. Even though there are some people in Israel who never saw the freedom and deliverance that was promised, they still believe that God never broke that promise. And they praised because they knew that God won't abandon us. You see, the Psalms, 
are beautiful because they express these, these beautiful emotions. They really touch on the human experience. And they, like I said, you can take all of the Psalms individually and really just read through them and take encouragement. But what's beautiful about the Psalms is that they're not just individual poems or songs. They're a collective composition. And so just like any good musician, there is intention not only to the arrangement of the notes in a song, but also to the arrangement of the songs in the album. Some of the best albums work cohesively, all the songs working beautifully, flowing into one another. And so the, the arrangement of the album paints a picture and tells a story just as important as the notes on every individual track. And so the same thing occurs here in the Psalms. Not only is every chapter of the Psalms a gem of inspiration, but so too the way that the Psalms are organized are meant to draw us closer to God. And we can see that simply in just the arrangement of just these two, three chapters here. And as I mentioned before, the one who compiled the Psalms, we don't know who did that, but the one who compiled the Psalms into one book intentionally arranged each, each Psalm after the other. They put them together as a way to fit in conjunction. And so 137 answers, or 138 answers a question that 137 asks. Psalms 137 is a psalm of lament. The people cry out for justice. The people cry out for freedom. And then Psalm 138 is a psalm of praise as David lifts his song for the hope of things to come. And I said this, Psalm 137 ends with no notes of hope. If you read that, there's no relief. There's no freedom. And the question of injustice remains. The question of oppression remains. And if you were to read Psalm 137 just by itself, it would seem as if God had left his people. We continue reading the Psalms. You read 138, and you realize that David is talking about this praise that exists despite our circumstances, this, this praise that exists despite our troubles. And in Psalm 137, we find absolutely no reason to sing, not quite yet. But just a chapter away, you just flip the page. You just turn to the next chapter. 137 says, I can't sing. How can I sing? Flip the chapter. David says, I can't help but sing. I will sing before all the gods. I will sing before all kings. I can't help but sing. Just a chapter away, David says, I've found my reason to sing. Psalm 137 ends with no hope, but Psalms 138 responds with reason for hope. And here's our final lesson for today. Our final lesson is this. Hope is a chapter away. Hope is a chapter away. See, if the Psalms which spans centuries, generations, captivity, freedom, highs, lows. If the Psalms teach us anything, is that hope is coming. See, so many of the Psalms are songs and poems that point to the future Messiah, that point to the coming king who would liberate Israel and establish a kingdom of peace and prosperity for all of God's people. They point to a time where all nations, every single nation, not just Israel, all nations would come together to bow before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, praising the mighty name of Yahweh. And you see, all of those hopes, all of those expectations, all of those promises are beautifully fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus becomes the King who liberates all nations from the slavery of sin and death. Jesus becomes the king who brings peace and justice and forgiveness through the cross. Jesus is that prince of peace, that king of kings, that lord of lords, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is the one who is worthy of all praise and honor. 
So no matter what we're going through, we can find our reason to praise because hope is a chapter away. See, I read something this once. It was this quote that really struck me. Even the darkest hour only has 60 minutes. Even your darkest hour only has 60 minutes. See, the, the night may be dark, but joy comes in the morning. Your world may be dark, but as surely as the sun rises in the morning, so too hope rises through Jesus. You see, things may be hopeless right now. Things may seem dark right now. Things may seem impossible right now. But just around the corner, just a page turn away is hope. Hope. You see, you might be in a chapter of fear or lament right now. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your personal psalm looks like. I don't know what your life song looks like at the moment. It might be a psalm of lament. It might be a psalm of fear. It might be a psalm that questions, how, how can I sing? It might be a psalm that hangs up your instrument and says, I can't sing these songs of joy right now. But just a chapter away is hope. You see, the world can try to steal your song. It can try to steal your reason for praise. But despite the sin that we see in the world around us, we can still praise. And we can praise because we sing. We sing because of his love. That's why we praise. Our praise isn't rooted in our experience. Our praise isn't rooted in what we're going through. Praise is rooted in who he is. Praise is not dependent on what he does. God isn't worthy of praise because he saved us. God isn't worthy of praise because, he's, because he loves us. God is worthy of praise because he is God. He is love. He is salvation. He is deliverance. Praise isn't because of what he does. Guys, listen to that. Praise is because of who he is. And he never fails to be who he is. He never fails to be who he is. And so you see, our song is found in God's faithfulness. Our song is found in God's righteousness. Our song is found in God's unfailing love. God's love remains persistent through the ages. God's love remains constant through the storm. Sin creates the troubles and the difficulties and the darkness that we experience. But God's kingdom is a kingdom of love and peace. God's kingdom is a kingdom that calms the storms. God's kingdom is a kingdom that brings freedom for the captives. God's love is working through us to set things right in the world. And so even though the world seems dark, we sing because God's light is still shining through. We sing because we know that God never breaks his promises. We sing because God won't abandon us. Even through our difficulties, God is there. Our cries for mercy don't fall on deaf ears. God hears us from his highest heights and he stretches his hand to cover us. And you see, even if salvation doesn't come in our lifetime, we know that God will never abandon us to the grave. Even if we pass away, even if we fall into that sleep, we know that death is not the end. Our hope lies in the resurrection of Jesus. Our hope is that just like Jesus rose from the dead, conquering death forever, so too will we rise when Jesus comes again. You see, I know that God hasn't abandoned us because even though fear seems to take a stronghold or, or takes hold of our lives, we still find reason to praise. 
I know that God hasn't abandoned us because there are still people in the world fighting for mercy and peace and equality and justice. I know that God hasn't abandoned us because he promised he never will. See, God has never broken his promises and he won't. And even if you're surrounded by darkness, even if you're surrounded by difficulties, know this, hope is just a chapter away. See, our God has promised that he's coming back for us. Jesus has promised that he's going to prepare a place so that where he is, we might also be. Our hope lies in Jesus. Our hope lies in the cross. Our hope lies in the resurrection. Our hope lies in the kingdom to come. You see, the current chapter of our lives right now, this world is a chapter of lament. It's a chapter of fear. It's a chapter of uncertainty. But believe me when I say that the next chapter is a chapter of praise. The next chapter is a chapter of hope. Jesus is coming. That's the next chapter. Jesus is coming and he's setting things right. So we don't have to be afraid because hope is coming. And so we lift up a praise because we know and we believe that hope is just a chapter away. Amen. Let's pray. God, we cling to those promises today. You know our hearts. You know what we're going through. You know where we, where we stand. You know if we've hung up our instruments and have just thrown up our hands and say, God, I can't sing, I can't praise. I, I find no joy in this moment. I find no joy in the struggle. You know where we're at. But God, you have promised that you never abandon the work of your hands. You promised that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you have created and knitted us even from our mother's womb, that you have plans for us, that you are bringing salvation to us. And God, sometimes that salvation comes in this life. But we believe that salvation comes in the life to come as well. That this kingdom is coming, that you are bringing a kingdom that is going to set things right on this earth. And so God, I just pray that when we feel down, when we feel outcast, when we feel exiled and oppressed and tormented, I pray that we would find our song in you, in who you are in your faithfulness, in your consistent and never-ending love. God, we thank you that hope is just a chapter away, that even our darkest hour only has 60 minutes. We thank you that the sun rises as you have risen from the grave, that the light of your resurrection is shining in our lives and that we can cling to that promise that this isn't the and that hope is just a chapter away. God, we thank you for the Psalms and for the inspiration and the faith and the love that it shows us. In your name, in the name of Jesus, we praise and we pray, amen. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. We hope that message encouraged and inspired you. If you want more information, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We'd love to connect with you. Until next time, take care.